Good morning. Good morning. I hope you slept well and I hope you've been having good meditation times and time to reflect and get some time in nature, etc. Someone asked if I could compare and contrast letting go and renunciation. And I think I want to use this framework as a way to simplify things, hopefully bring some clarity. So letting go, of course, is the way we refer to a lot of, a lot of things. And renunciation is a bit more of a technical term, we might say, in Buddhism, in, in the Buddhist teaching. So, for example, you have a pot on the stove and you go to pick it up and it's hot in your hands, jump away immediately without any thought. It's, it's letting go, but it's not renunciation. It's automatic. Self-preservation. Kind of, what do you call that? Um, reflex. And, and it's, of course, we let go of all kinds of things, right? But when we think about renunciation, which also could be, you know, referred to as it's a, letting go is part of it, it's really about trading up. It's really about understanding that what we're doing, thinking, clinging to is leading to dukkha. And I think it's useful to use the word dukkha, even though you know, I refer to it as suffering a lot. You probably all know that dukkha covers the whole range from minor dissatisfaction the feeling like something's not quite right, not really satisfying, not providing long-term peace, joy, comfort, all the way to full-blown suffering. So, dukkha. And renunciation is comes with the realization, the understanding that even some things that are pleasant in the in, in the moment, they're leading to more dukkha. And this is why it gets tricky, because there are the whole four different ways we experience things, right? There's pleasant things now that lead to a pleasant result later. 
there are pleasant, something that's pleasant now and it leads to dukkha. Or there's something that's painful and it leads to peace, happiness, pleasant result. Or there's something that's painful that leads to more dukkha. So it takes more, obviously, to, to look more deeply into causes and results. And so sometimes people can feel a little allergic to renunciation because it gets mixed up with deprivation. And the Buddha wasn't, wasn't at all championing, championing austerity for the sake of austerity or deprivation for the sake of kind of enduring it. And that's what he learned. That doesn't help. What helps is to notice that I'm clinging to something or I'm wanting something to be different than it is, and that's causing dukkha. And that's when we want to look at, well, what actually is going to lead to peace, happiness, freedom, and in particularly the kind of peace and happiness that lasts, not the momentary stuff that we have in the world, pain, pleasure, neither, it's all coming and going constantly. And that's where the spiritual level comes in. So the Buddha's quest was for that lasting peace and happiness. And he found it. And he's, he's telling us, you can find it too. And lots of people have. All right, let's get on that train. You know what I'm saying? And the way that we know that we have some work to do is dukkha present here and now. So what this means is that none of this talk about letting go or giving things up is meant to suggest that there's something wrong with having a nice, comfortable home or good you know, relationships or, you know, the kinds of things that, that, you know, we work hard, we earn some money, we can have the, the comfort. The Buddha said, you know, if you work in a wholesome way, doing something that's not harmful, and you earn money, use it to make yourself happy, make your, your partner and your children happy, make your friends happy, give some to charity, that's all very welcome and appropriate. The trouble only comes when we're clinging to it all, when we, when we want it to continue after it changes, or we're, we're thrown off by the change and we go into despair. And the Buddha is saying, you know, prepare for that change, because things are always going to change. And it may not happen, but it's something's going to happen, and that's what you want to be ready for. Not in a way that makes your life miserable now. That's not the point. So 
The Buddha gave us lots of methods for trying to understand with wisdom. So this idea, basically what I'm saying is that renunciation comes with wisdom. Wisdom has to be coming along with it. Just like mindfulness has to include wisdom to be effective. And a lot of other things, kindness and compassion need wisdom involved in order to be making the right kinds of decisions and trying to help people and trying to take care of things. So with, with letting go, with renunciation, letting go of the things that are actually creating dukkha, and with so with renunciation, there's a, there's wisdom of kind of understanding the long-term results, short-term and long-term results. So it's easy to see how this works. Like. Probably everybody has gone through one or more or many phases of purging the stuff you own at one time or another, and not even decide what to let go of and what to keep. And people have different criteria. But if you start to think of what do I really own, I really don't own any of this stuff. That's just kind of a a way of thinking about things. What do I really use? What really makes me happy? What really is a burden? Then we can start to, like, okay, well, you know, even though maybe when I got this thing, whatever it is, I found it useful or pleasant, but then over time, it's just another thing in the house. It's needs to be stored, it needs to be cleaned, it needs to be cared for, whatever, and it's no longer giving me the return that was helpful in the past, so it's time to move it on and let somebody else get use out of it. Well, what about relationships? Sometimes there was benefit, there was enjoyment, there was a connection, and then at some point things changed in a way that the relationship creates dukkha. And of course it can be complicated. We can't, we're not always, it's not always the wise choice to set that aside, but sometimes it is. So I thought I would share with you seven methods for abandoning things is another way of saying it. Letting go of things with wisdom. And this comes out of uh, teaching of the Buddha in the Middle Length Discourses. It's the second one. It's called All the Taints. Taints being the translation for asavas. And it's, it's the, basically the dukkha creators, if you will. Or sometimes they call it the defilements. It's challenging to translate some of these technical terms that the Buddha used, that he made into technical terms to describe spiritual 
experience and ideas into English because no one English word really captures these things. So it's helpful to learn a little bit of Pali and kind of get the sense of the, the scope of what these words might what they might mean. But on a very practical level, these are the things that we engage in that can cause us dukkha or it can bring happiness. So he said, some things are abandoned by seeing. And what he means is you see that this is harmful and you drop it. Or you see that this is beneficial and cultivated. And so it's like sometimes that's enough. You know, um, I'm remembering back in the day when so many of the people around smoked. We have, it's, it's different now. There's been a, a real change there for many um, areas of society. But there would be some people, as soon as they got the idea that this is bad for your health, they just dropped it. I had an uncle, he threw the pack of cigarettes out of the truck window and he never smoked again. That was it. Sometimes you see it and then you can just let it go. Of course, there are many more complicated things in life than that. But then that's not always true. Not everyone could do that. My dad tried over and over and over again to stop. And kept coming back to it. Finally, it happened. He was able to let it go. But so this is like if you see it. Sometimes when you see, then you can drop it. And the Buddha said, "Some things you abandon by restraint." So again, it's always dukkha. That's the red flag. That's the that's the notification. That's the 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 bell, the alarm bell. And when we are seeing something, hearing something, engaging in something, and we find that it really brings more stress, it really brings more unrest, and it brings more um, pain of some kind, then the restraint is to stop doing it. And sometimes it can be a pretty benign thing for maybe someone else doesn't have the same reaction. So a lot of things have to be evaluated based on how I experience it, how you experience it, and how we relate to it. So for some people, monastic life, it's easy to to come up with examples. You know, some monks just cannot be around women very much, especially in the early years. And when, when, because they don't want to get pulled away from the holy life and, and get interested in, in someone. And so they stay away. I've seen it happen. I'm a little convent monastery and this monk disappears for a few days. That's restraint. 
And it's skillful. Sometimes the, the third one is using something in a good way. So there are some things that cause us trouble that we can't just turn away from and drop. Food. A lot of us have challenges with food. We have to have it, but maybe in the way we relate to it or in the way that um, our body reacts to certain things, we have to be careful. And sometimes it's very hard to do that. And so the Buddha talked about using the things that we have to have in a wise, judicious way that brings more calm and peace and good health and not the opposite. So that meal reflection that we do, we do it every day, usually just for the main meal, but sometimes also for the breakfast. You know, wisely reflecting, I use alms food, not for fun, not for pleasure, not for fattening, not for beautification, only for the maintenance and nourishment of this body, for keeping it healthy, for helping with the holy life. And it goes on a little bit more. But you get the idea, it's like, how do we use something that is part of our life? And another aspect of this um, is some of the things that we have to do that we don't like to do or that bring up, you know, dukkha for us. Because there is no one and no job that there aren't things about it you don't like. And that's the nature of this realm. There is good and bad about everything. And there are some things that we're going to like and some things we're not going to like. So there's this really, I, I like this approach. Uh, Ajahn Punadamo, if you know who he is, a Canadian monk, he, he uses this a lot. He said, if you can't get out of it, get into it. And, and it really, it's a, it's a whole attitude shift. Like, if this, is, if this is part of my life, part of my situation, and I have to do it and I don't like it, how do I get into it? Into it in a way that it becomes something I can do as a gift. Into it in a way that this is my, this is my offering. Into it in a way that I find what's valuable in it. Etc. into it in a way that I am working with the feelings that arise so that I can let go of whatever the clinging is and still do what I'm supposed to do. The fourth one is to endure it. There are some things in life we just have to endure. Some kinds of pain that we can't resolve. Um, the Buddha uses the flies, mosquitoes, wind, burning and creeping things. You know, there's just a certain amount of stuff you have to endure. And we can build up our stamina, our ability to endure. And the image that comes to my mind is being outside meditating with a group of monks at a Bayagiri and watching, like seeing Ajahn Pasano sitting there with his arm 
like with a bunch of mosquitoes on it and he's just like totally oblivious to it. You know, it's like you learn how to endure certain things. And so you can see how wisdom is needed here. Like you don't have to put yourself into harm's way or into um, a situation where you have to test that endurance necessarily. Just endure what you can't avoid. And that leads us to the next one, the, sixth, the fifth one, rather. The fifth one is to avoid. There's some things we should just avoid. And, you know, there are obvious things to avoid. Um, I remember going for walks when I lived in Amaravati in England. That England, England is, you know, it has this beautiful way of seeing, seeming very natural and unkept, but it's actually all completely kept in some way. And um, they have a little sign on the trio in this one, the woods, beware of the adder, the one poisonous snake on the whole island, and they know exactly where it lives. <laughs> it's, it's like you avoid it, you know, you avoid, um, we avoid the the mountain lions and other things that are in our forest, you know, they have their lives and we have our lives and we try to stay out of each other's way. And sometimes we have to avoid people. And there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, of course we want to be kind. Um, but sometimes it's better to avoid avoid certain situations. And then this sixth one the Buddha talked about is dispelling. And this is around thinking. So I might have mentioned before it, it was really helpful to me to realize reading the suttas that the Buddha really encouraged us to treat thoughts differently than feelings. Feeling when we have emotional uh, stuff coming up, we want to turn towards it, pay attention to it, um, observe it, and process it through the body. And thoughts are different. He said, you have an unwholesome thought, you reject it. You dispel it. You put it aside. You don't let the mind go off into ruminations that are cruel, full of ill will and negativity, full of lust and desire. So you don't tolerate those. You dispel them. And then finally, there's the approach that is to develop, develop something. And the Buddha, in this case, talks about developing the seven factors of enlightenment, developing your mindfulness, you know, developing um, your ability to investigate the Dhamma, and develop that spiritual energy in yourself, the piti, 
Develop the tranquility. Develop the samadhi. Develop the equanimity. So all of the good qualities. We develop our generosity. We develop our faith, our confidence in the Dharma and the Buddha and the Sangha. Develop our moral virtue. And and so on. And, and, And it's very important to develop these in a way that doesn't bring more dukkha. And we so easily can be too hard on ourselves. We can so easily be too lax. And just, you know, remembering that we need wisdom involved and we also need kindness involved in all of our our efforts and our endeavors, our choices, so that we can really grow, develop, and and live in a way that's happy, peaceful, contented. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.